ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. As the series heads to Manchester, do you fear maybe momentum has shifted in England's favour here? Uh, not really, no. Why not? 2-1. Uh, <laughs> that is Pat Cummins, refusing to buy into the idea of a momentum shift. But for Australian cricket fans at the ground and indeed on the couch at home, it felt tangible as England edged home in a headingly thriller again. The series battle lines feel redrawn, which is kind of odd given every game's been determined on such fine margins. While England seems to have unlocked new gears and weapons, Australia faced questions around personnel and tactics. Will the short ball barrage continue? Can David Warner really hold his place at this point? Will they squeeze Green and Marsh into the same 11? Does anyone know how to solve the Ben Stokes puzzle? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Sam Perry is a cricket writer and host of the Great Cricketer podcast. Sam, it feels as though all three of these games have been on a knife edge. So deriving meaning from outcomes or results feels borderline stupid. I'm going to try and do it anyway. And I'm going to start with England because they won. And it felt to me as though they figured a few things out. Was this a departure from pure basball? And is that going to be them going forward? Cricket with many gears, not one gear. And if so, is that even more scary for Australian cricket fans? Uh, thanks for having me, Patrick. It, it, it's hard to know. I think basball is new to Australia in a lot of ways. I think a lot of us would have watched last night again, just unsure what to make of this England team that's able to bat at warp speed. Uh, but I agree with you. I think some of the little tweaks they made, for example, the inclusion of Chris Wokes, who doesn't at first seem like a basballer in the kind of A-plus uh, style was actually able to steady the ship on a few occasions. I mean, he made the incisive breakthrough to knock over Mitch Marsh and Alex Carey on day three. Uh, he also then managed to stay with Harry Brook last night, making 32 not out. England need one to win. Stark comes in, bowls to Wokes, who steps away and smashes it for four. And England have won. Hitting the winning runs uh, in a manner that was uh, not quite what we've become accustomed to with basball, so uh, I think England may have heeded a few calls to to be a bit sensible at times, and uh, and it's kind of worked out for them. I think the scrutiny is going to come for Pat Cummins in the wake of a loss, and I suspect particularly the tactic of bounces and widespread fields. It seemed his commitment to plans, in some ways, won him the opening two tests. Was it a commitment to that tactic that I mentioned that might have proved costly here? Uh, it, 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 it's hard to say. I mean, Australia's lost a test match, so naturally the scrutiny will rise. I mean, from my personal perspective, each of the three games were on a knife edge in their own way. Uh, I, I was absolutely um, over the moon that Australia went into this test 2-0 up. I thought the games were a lot closer than that. Uh, you know, if, if we're looking at things that changed the game, I, I will probably look closer at the cheap dismissals of, of Steve Smith and Marnus Labuschagne. And Smith flicks in the air, straight to Mitrick and he's gone! What has Stephen Smith done there? But it, it's never any one thing. Uh, I, I think the Aussies are still trying to figure out how to contain England when it comes to basball, but it's almost like they're uh, uncontainable. I mean, any um, criticism of Pat Cummins, I think, is going to also include 
a failure to bring Todd Murphy into the game uh, last night a little bit earlier. Yeah, would have liked to get Toddy into the game a bit more, but um, yeah, I'm sure next week at Manchester will be a bit more spin friendly. He obviously decided to go with the tried and true seamers. Uh, it didn't quite work with Scott Boland. He was desperate for Mitchell Stark to have a break before he could come on and do some more damage. Uh, and look, it just always felt like England were far enough ahead in the game to be able to ride their inevitable daft moments, which they have. Uh, and and I think that's a result of being just a little bit unders when it came to the bat. Uh, thankfully, there's nine days for Australia to think about how they might tweak and improve. Uh, I think positively as well, when we lost at Headingley in 2019, we went back to Old Trafford the next game and uh, played really well and, and, and annihilated England. So there is some history there in terms of being able to come back I just think both teams are really close. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether there's a tactical blueprint that overcomes Basball. Uh, Australia have been pretty good value so far, and, and I'm sure they're probably going to keep it pretty similar going into the fourth test. Sam, the ABC Sports social channels are going to be fizzing with digital metrics over the next 10 days as we dice and splice different possible English and Australian 11s. And the reason for that is there's so many options. But for me, there's something really interesting about Warner and Bearstow particularly. They're both having... Difficult, poor series, really. Labuschagne, who is he caught down the oh, leg side? That a drop drops. catch. Woods on the ground. Best, who didn't take it away to his left hand side. What does this come off? But they're both kind of team mascots, and the commitment to each of them does it hint at something beyond the numbers? Because it seems to defy logic. The the commitment to each of them from from both sides. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I'm I'm happy to pick up that argument as well. I, I understand their inclusion. I understand why. Uh, as I expect, and I think many do, that they will be re-included for the fourth test as well. Uh, you know, in, in cricket teams, you can just look at raw numbers. I think analytics have uh, risen up in people's estimations and credibility over the last couple of years, and rightly so. But there are some intangibles in teams as well that matter. I mean, I, I was at Lords when uh, David Warner and Usman Khawaja uh, batted excellently in really difficult conditions to uh, establish a partnership that gave their pl- the players that came afterwards a much better opportunity to succeed, and they did. You know, I think that is worth something. Uh, I also think that um, dropping Marcus Harris into the furnace in the fourth test uh, is not necessarily something that's going to result in uh, a, a positive return. I think that with David Warner, there's a feeling within the team that they've all stuck together through this period over a couple of years, and there's some business that they'd like to finish together. Uh, and although it's, I've seen it's been pilloried online, uh, being able to catch it first slip is valuable as well. And goes Cummins over the wicket, bowls, and Roots edged it! And he's caught by Warner. The second ball of the day. A nondescript little shot outside the off stop, with a little nudge. It's well taken by Warner to his right, and quite quickly. So I think on balance he will be retained. I also think that he should be retained. Uh, I'm a believer that uh, class does rise uh, when under the most pressure uh, and ultimately just just I think Warner should be included and I think it's the same for Best though he's almost like the totem for Basball uh, I think they will continue to back him and believe that he will uh, you know quote unquote come off that's actually how the England team seems to play a lot of that they, they tend to fail in the main but somebody tends to do well and get the job done for everybody else and and, and I think that they'll expect that that will happen for Best though as well. Another difficult selection quandary for Australia is uh, Green and Marsh. How does two go into one? You know, can can you make those two all rounders 
fit into that top six? Oh, you, you can, you know, if you're playing like fantasy cricket. Uh, I, look, per- personally, I, I think that if you know Mitch Marsh has made a run of ball 118 that's nearly won the game for his team after four years out, uh, I, I don't think you can drop him after that. That is another Ashes 100 for Mitch Marsh. He saved his best for England. I think that the nature of these test matches, which is basically let's win and win now, we're not actually developing or investing in the future, might actually lead to uh, Cam Green missing out. Uh, we might find that his hamstring hasn't come up, <laughs> inverted commas. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think you can drop a guy that's just made a run of all 100, frankly. Uh, and, uh, you know, Cam Green is going to have plenty of time in his career to become the great player that everybody expects he will become. I suspect that the Australians will persist with Marsh and not make too many other changes to the top order. You touched on Todd Murphy's role in this particular test and it seemed on the final day that it was either going to be Stark or Cummins that was going to be the answer for Australia from a wicket standpoint. Do you foresee changes to that bowling unit um, ahead of the fourth test at Old Trafford? I do. I mean, I think everybody could see that uh, the English batters seem to have Scott Boland's number. He is extremely metronomic. His accuracy can't be questioned, but when they knock him off his length by moving out of their crease and, and uh, employing some more 360 batting, he doesn't seem to have uh, too much of an ability at the moment to adapt or uh, be able to bring something different, uh, which isn't to say he's an aquatic quality bowler. It just doesn't seem to... The, the wickets and uh, the, the style of play don't seem to be working for him right now. So I would expect Hazelwood to come straight back in. There's a nine-day break. Uh, and I think they'll persist with Murphy as well. Australians always like to, ha- to bring a spinner into the side, uh, with, with the side as variation, as rest for the quicks, and there'll possibly be a number of other scenarios for Todd Murphy where he can get himself into a spell. I think uh, last night, Pat Cummins, who probably is on the side of uh, conservatism, tactically speaking, uh, you know, wanted to go with the quicks, uh, so Murphy didn't get a go, but I-, I think that he's already shown Murphy, particularly in India, that he can be trusted uh, in, in a whole range of different situations. So I'd expect Hazelwood to come in and I, I think Cummins and Stark will try and get themselves up again. Just a final word on Ben Stokes. Maybe the most scary thing about this chase is they did it without him scoring many. How does Australia even begin to try and solve that puzzle? Because I, I feel like he's in like Lara, Viv Richards, Tendulkar <laughs> areas in terms of striking fear into the hearts of Australian cricketers and fans. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we were all extremely surprised when he uh, tickled one down leg side to Alex Carey. Oh, it's in down the leg side, oh. big appeal for court behind. Australia's given him. Oh, umpire's given him and Stokes is walking off. He's not referring this. He must have got a little tickle down the leg side. It feels like that uh, last nine. It feels like that's Australia's best hope is just that, uh, you know, we we receive a little bit of luck and he he gets himself out. Uh, He he just seems irrepressible at the moment. And one of those guys that once he decides he wants to win a game, uh, he can do it. And he reserves his best performances for us, uh, I only have the utmost respect for him. He's just been so destructive. Uh, you know, his first innings of 80 completely changed the game as well. Uh, you know, if, if anybody has... I know a lot of people on Twitter do have a lot of tactical uh, certainty about what to do with Stokes uh, or with Stokes. Maybe Cummins just needs to have a read of that. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure there's a silver bullet for Ben Stokes at the moment. Australia just has to be as, as precise and disciplined as possible and, uh, and, and hope he gets himself out. We're beautifully set up for the fourth test. This series continues to give us so much joy and pain at times. Sam Perry, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Headlines. 
It turns out it might have been the car and not Oscar Piastri because the McLaren driver has claimed the finest result of his Formula One career, finishing in fourth place at the British Grand Prix. He could have earned a place on the podium but was overtaken in the pits by Lewis Hamilton late on. The Australian was also disadvantaged by his team opting for hard compound tyres in that change, meaning he had his work cut out holding off Mercedes gun George Russell, let alone catching Hamilton, who were both on the soft tyres. He did manage to cling on, and it looks as though the McLaren car upgrades are working a treat, as evidenced by Lando Norris jagging second too. Here's Piastri. Yeah, it's uh, nice in some ways to be disappointed with a fourth place considering where we were at the start of the year. So a massive credit to the team. Clearly the the upgrades we've brought to the car are working an absolute treat. So, um, yeah, exciting times for the future and um, it's nice to be back towards the front. Max Verstappen finished in first. That guy is on another level. Alexander Volkanovski did not stay down for long. Back in the featherweight division, and he's reclaimed his position as champion with a technical knockout in the third round of the UFC 290 bout. He's the best. He is the best global fighter in the world, hands down. The celebrations are rolling on in Adelaide after the Thunderbirds weekend victory in the Super Netball Grand Final over New South Wales. The Swifts lost by a goal in extra time as the South Australians claimed their first title in a decade. Netball Australia has worn plenty of scrutiny over the grand final being held in neutral Victoria, but nearly 10,000 packed into a sold-out John Kane Arena for a wild season decider. Next up for Netball fans, the World Cup is in Cape Town in under three weeks. The Wallabies are preaching the need for calm after being thumped by an understrength Springbok side in South Africa. Eddie Jones' men next play Argentina in Sydney this weekend. Michael Checker, remember him? He's in charge of the Pumas. And Cam Smith has won his first golf tournament this year right before he goes to try and defend the British Open. The Australian claimed the Live Golf event in London, winning by a shot from fellow Aussie Mark Leishman to earn a $6 million payday. The British Open gets underway next week at Royal Liverpool. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Mick Radojkovic. Thanks to Fox Sports and UFC for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.